This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver, I'm Bree Davies, and I'm here with my producer, Paul Caroli. All this week, we're counting down our top stories in Denver of 2022. Hey, Bree. Hi, Paul. So we're at our final show. Is this our final show of the year? Oh my gosh, I think it is. <gasps> wow. Happy end of year. We did it. We did it. I mean, we still have a little bit more recording to do this <laughs> week, but when listeners hear this, we did it. When listeners hear this, this will be our last show. Um, but we're counting down our our top five. I wouldn't necessarily say favorite because it, it, I know it sounds like it's it's hard to pick your favorite, but it really is hard to pick your favorite. This was top stories that we thought were most impactful on the city, like highlighted things and struggles and triumphs that we have experienced this year. So our our top five, uh, we started the countdown with the Avs win, mm-hmm. third Stanley Cup. Huge. Then we went into tipping fatigue, talked about the state of the restaurant worker and folks in tipped industries. Then we talked about the rise in workers' rights, workers' power, Union, you know, this rise in, in unions, interest in unions and, and how that actually plays out on a on a base and it like how it plays out in a city. I think the best example was what happens when you can't go to your grocery store, right? Yeah, tough question. It's it's a tough call. And then yesterday we talked about the impact of a decade of legalization of legal weed. Yeah. And so we're ending this list with, I think, probably one of the most contentious conversations happening in Denver. It's been happening for quite a while. I've seen folks flip-flop on this issue. I think it's it's so complicated. It's hard to have a stance 100% either way because there's multiple problems we're dealing with here, but that is... It's so complicated. It's so complicated. That is our, our our downtown problem, the desolation of downtown. What is going on downtown, yeah. right? And it's not even just a Denver problem too. I mean, it is a Denver problem, but it's an America problem right now. Like this is only one piece of it, but it jumps to mind because it happened recently for me. It'll be a few weeks back for listeners. Mayor Eric Adams in New York saying that he's open to involuntary <sighs> uh institutionalization for people experiencing homelessness who have mental health issues or drug abuse issues like what a that's like a 40 year old precedent that he's willing to turn around and reverse like i know again that's just a small part of this there's like way more there's the pandemic there's remote work there's commuters not returning there's i mean new mayor the camp the politics of it housing costs the camping ban mm-hmm. i mean we're also that was one of the big stories this year too 10 years same thing Yep. 10 years of the urban camping ban and what has it gotten us? Well, uh, our down if our downtown is any barometer of that, it's not gone well. Yeah. 
We've got rest- longtime restaurants leaving Larimer Square. Bistro Van Dome's going to reopen in Park Hill, but that's gone for now. That's a Larimer Square institution. One fewer <sighs> reason to go downtown, unfortunately. And we this this conversation started. What was really interesting, and you'll hear in this episode, is um, sort of the confrontation we had when we went to Union Station mm-hmm. to check out the scene. Right there was a lot of I would say Union Station was one of those epicenters of hysteria. Like Definitely. this is where the urban decline is happening. We're watching it in real time. When, and, when Douglas County politicians were complaining uh, about Denver and what a hellhole it is, they were talking about Union Station. And specifically yeah. the transit hub. That Delta Colorado representative that called us a toilet bowl. Barf. Ugh. It's my toilet bowl. It's not yours. <laughs> I love my toilet bowl. Um, I do but, love our toilet bowl. Can we say some nice things about downtown? Yeah. We've if, said bad stuff. We should say nice stuff. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what to say that's nice about it, Paul. I got something. I saw Avatar Go. 2 at the Pavilions, the theater, oh my God. on Friday night. Had an incredible time. The parking was seamless. I do love the parking garage there. The experience was beautiful. Great people watching, <laughs> pleasant Christmassy walk in the nighttime air, and Avatar 2, an instant classic. Oh, God. You're lucky I don't care about movies because this feels like bait. Um, did you and Megan, I'm assuming you went with Megan. I could yes. be wrong. You do have friends. My lovely wife, yeah. So did you and Megan eat somewhere downtown? <sighs> did we eat somewhere downtown, Bree? We did not. We did not. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. We kind of, we wanted to. We were talking about going down to Larimer Square to try to see if we could have a meal at Bistro Vendome on its last Before they're gone. days. Yeah. Um, but just, you know, it's a very long movie. <laughs> It's a very long movie. <laughs> three over three hours. It's too much movie. That's a long nap for me. I just would walk right into that theater and fall asleep. Well, which would also be nice. <sighs> okay, I I wish I had something nice to say about downtown. I want to love it. I have complex feelings about it. Um Okay, well, you know, this will be a conversation we have next year. No, 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 we, no, 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 no. How do you we love downtown? One. You got to say one. Give me one. I'm trying to think, honestly. McGregor Square. I went to that Shining themed bar. It was such a joke. Tamayo has a great patio. Um, I honestly have a hard time, Paul. I want to love downtown. Maybe this is um, this is a call to listeners to tell us what you love about downtown because it's really hard to find somebody to tell you what they love right now. Yeah. And maybe we need a little morale boost. Yeah. But, uh, okay, let's get into this conversation because what we haven't mentioned is we went down there with our friend Kyle Harris from Denverite, longtime reporter here in the city. Interesting perspective as always. I love Kyle's perspective. I think what I I love, he's, he's, he's so open to hearing all the sides. Um, and, and he's really balanced his reporting around this conversation. And we wanted to wander around Union Station with him to hear from him what he had been reporting on and how he felt about it. And he gave us some great perspective about what we should be looking for in downtown and what we should like about downtown and the problems that exist. And um, so it was just a really fun I don't know. I love I love hanging out with Kyle Harris, and I'm so glad that he was game to do this with us. Um, our our former producer, former CityCast Denver producer, Alexandra McMahon, was also with us before she set sail to Philadelphia. Um, so we had a 
yeah, this the show's interesting. Starts out with the confrontation, then we move on and, and talk more about not just downtown itself, but the physical, like the structure of Union Station and the history of preservation, and it's it's all the things. It's all. It's the really things. really interesting. Con- I, I'm I'm pretty proud of this one. I don't like to talk about that very much, but I think we did something pretty cool here. Yeah, I like this show. Enjoy. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. This episode is brought to you by the Denver Botanic Gardens. It's time for the 75th annual spring plant sale at the Denver Botanic Gardens. Mark your calendars for Friday and Saturday, May 10th and 11th. Admission is free, but you must register in advance at botanicgardens.org. Registering my husband, Greg, right now for the plants I want him to pick out and plant in our yard for me. Shop from 15 different plant divisions, including annuals, houseplants, herbs and veggies, and specialties like aquatics, container garden in a bag, and plants grown right at the gardens. The garden's horticulture staff will be on site to answer any and all plant questions you may have. This sale emphasizes water smart and native plants that are perfect for our semi-arid climate. They'll be great for a beautiful landscape that doesn't require a bunch of water. For more details, registration information, and a catalog of available plants, go to botanicgardens.org. That's botanicgardens.org. Today on CityCast Denver. We're finally at Union Station. Here we are. Everybody that was yelling at us to go to Union Station, we're here. Hey. Are y'all doing interviews in here? Well, we're, we're recording a podcast, but we're media. But it's just for the uh, for us for CityCast Denver. We're not talking to guests. We're not gonna bother any guests. And I'm CityCast Denver and then Denver Raiden, Colorado Public Radio. Yeah. Uh, any credentials or something? We just don't typically do anything like that inside the building. Oh yeah. Do you know why? Yeah, it's a private building, so there's just kind of like anything that is recorded in the building has to go through our marketing department. Interesting. Yeah. Well, with like press conferences and stuff, that's different. We don't do anything like that in here. Oh, no press conference no. inside. Hmm. Okay. Well, um, we'll go. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's fine. Thank you. Yeah. That person was wrong. I reviewed Union Station's own policy. I even talked to a lawyer yesterday, and he assured me we were fully within our right to record that conversation and play it for you now. And I didn't want to make this about us, but the question is now officially personal. Who is Union Station for? So we're now leaving Union Station. Yes. <laughs> We've been asked to leave with our microphones at least. We were told to leave. Apparently you're not allowed to record in there right now. The lines are shifting. Um, but we're, we're going to take a tour. Bree's here. I'm here. And we have a special guest, Kyle Harris from Denverite and Colorado Public Radio. 
Hello, Kyle. <laughs> thanks for thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Kyle. Thanks for having me, uh, Kyle. You've been reporting on this place for uh, months now. Talk to us about what we're looking at. Well, we are outside Union Station in downtown Denver, a place that is frequented by people working down here. There's some folks who live here, and then there are a lot of tourists. It's a gorgeous place. It was built in the 1800s. Um, in some ways, Union Station is kind of the convergence of old Denver and new Denver, right? I mean, really old Denver. That's a great way to put it, Kyle. <laughs> it's, it, it really is, because it was closed for, or it was at least not operating in this capacity for a long time. Like, I used to work across the street, and it was, like, abandoned, except for there was a real sketch club over here called Lotus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've been through there back in the day, and you would just sit in there. It was kind of a a somewhat sad space and Dana yeah. Crawford several years back did this huge revitalization project brought all these restaurants in reworked it the Crawford hotels here now it's in many ways a gorgeous gorgeous space when it first opened I was so skeptical Same. and I fell in love yeah and you know this this plaza that we're looking at right here is fountain shooting up in the summer kids are out here playing it's just to me, this is like one of, it actually is one of Denver's treasures. Yeah. And when people talk about this as like Denver's living room, um, boosters talk about it as like a crown jewel of Denver. I have to say, I kind of you get agree. It. I feel it. I love this place. I think what's interesting too is that if you look at the retail aspects of this and the restaurants, it's independent. You know what I mean? It's not like when you're at the airport where there's like Panda Express and McDonald's or whatever. I mean, although our airport is unique in that we have local restaurants, but that's what strikes me when I walk in here. It's oh. like, it's not that big box commercial space. Oh, not at all. Not at all. It's, it's lovely little places. Yeah. I mean, we're also, we got Stoic and Genuine here, the seafood restaurant. Jen Jasinski's one of her places. She mm -hmm. was a, a James Beard winner. So this is like yet another institution of the, it's the fancy the class. It's things that the city wants people to see when they come to visit Denver. 100%. 100%. It makes sense to me. And I, I will be honest with you, when I'm in other cities, this is the kind of thing that I'm wowed by, right? Like I go, oh, I loved, I was in, you know, Phoenix and they have revamped this department store and turned it into a restaurant and it's gorgeous. Like that's what this kind of place is. And so I have to look at it from this outsider's perspective. Like what would I feel if I got off the train mm -hmm. from DIA mm -hmm. and walked into here? I'd be like, holy shit. Totally. It's nice. It's the, gorgeous. The other thing to think about with this place is when it was built, you know, Denver was still coming into its own, which also meant you know, people had been camping down by the river, right? right? Mm -hmm. Cheyenne, Arapaho had been camping there. The they were swept away. Yeah. This building is sort of a, a place-making mission for settler colonialism in some way. And it's like, we are here. This is, this is this kind of magnificent, beautiful Western expansion thing tied to the railroads. Yeah. It was built after the Civil War. It's called Union Station for a reason. It's about uniting people, bringing the, the country together, kind of in the wake of the genocide. So it's, to me, it's important to think about both like what unity Historical and context. sort of a union means, but also, you know, this was, this was a very, in some ways, bleak bleak place yeah and, and from one side but then maybe from the other side like the business community this is like their favorite story to tell about denver is the railroad spur when early denverites got together well early rich denverites got together 
to say, hey, let's build a railroad line down from Cheyenne to Denver and make this the economic center of this new Colorado Absolutely. territory. So it was like pushing out, but also drawing people in Absolutely. at the same time. And that's all here, too. Absolutely. That is here, too. And I think, you know, the, the history of camping is one that I think is important when we think about what's happening down here, because, yeah. you know, there were miners who had come out here with this promise of, oh, my God, we're going to the West. We're going to get rich in the West. It's going to be amazing. Many of them found themselves homeless living on the South Platte River. Mm. Um, the city at one point, as I understand it, was actually building giving people the materials to build their own shacks along the river so that they would have a place to stay. And, huh. and at one point, according to one book, and I have not gone deep into this, and I dream of doing a story on this, or maybe you all should, um, <laughs> they were giving people materials to build boats to actually float their way out Whoa. of Denver. So this is the 1800s where where Whoa. this very area was, it was already a contested space. Like, uh -huh. who is it for? Is it for, you know, this this monumental beautiful building and and the wealthy and the people who are making it here in Denver is it for people who are struggling and people who had dreams that didn't come true and again I think the dreams that didn't come true that's a huge thing you see down here the people who are living behind Union Station behind there there's the Union Station neighborhood right which is a relatively recent development filled with a lot of apartments and then some condos in fact the Coloradan which is back there is one of the first condos to be built in town in the last 10 years. And the people who moved in there were, were sold this bill. You know, you're moving downtown, you're in this beautiful transit-oriented development, there are restaurants, there's culture, there's all this stuff going mm -hmm. on. And they came in here with, with huge hopes. And, and because the, the places in there are pretty pricey, a lot of them are retirees who are excited to, to land in, in Denver and, and enjoy this beautiful downtown. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so there've been some conflicts from the Colorado and from the people living there and from people living in the neighborhood who were promised this dream of Denver and ultimately and they paid a lot of money people for living that dream. here and yeah. people who were poor and people who were accessing many of the social services that are zoned for downtown and have been down here for a while so again there's a a history of dreams here <laughs> Let's go walk around the back. We've seen the fancy part up front. Yes. I want to see the the clash because I haven't <laughs> seen any. I haven't been back there Paul by the terminal the since before the the pandemic started. It's looking pretty fancy this morning. I came in on the A line. The oh. A line was filled. You hear these horror stories about oh the A line is turned into a squat and what whatever. You know the A line's just filled with commuters. It's a very calm experience coming in into downtown. Mm -hmm. um, even with all of the hyperbole around the horrors, crime, the lawless hellhole, all of that, this place has been a fairly nice place to come. And I think, I mean, I've lived in other cities. Cities are cities, you right. know. Mm -hmm. Lots right. of people come together in them, and Union I mean, Station is no exception. To me, that's what makes a good city, is when you have different people intersecting that wouldn't be crossing paths maybe otherwise exactly it's what's fun about it yeah i mean there there are all these conversations at the city level about diversity inclusion equity right. all of this and yet when you have a space where people are coming together suddenly uh, there's panic which right. is bizarre <laughs> it's weird hmm. now one of the things is worth noting about union station you know you you have this building you have a place for essentially tourists people coming in for a meeting mm -hmm. a lot of political operatives like to meet at the bar back there terminal yeah. bar yeah um, it's very funny 
Um, <laughs> That's actually the one time I've been to Terminal Bar was for a political thing. For a political thing. For sure. So you have this upstairs, <laughs> and then downstairs in the bus concourse is where a lot of the crime, the complaints, um, the heaviness of this space is. And, and there's no denying that it's a heavy yeah. Sad space. Right. Yeah. In can, some ways. Kyle, can you quickly catch us up on the story about why Union Station is is such a flashpoint right now, like the last few months? Several months back, Civic Center Park was closed. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And so Civic Center Park was a place where there were a lot of unhoused people mm-hmm. living for a long time. Um, there was also a pretty active drug trade in Civic Center Park for a long time. Sure. When that was closed and sort of moved away. Suddenly, you had a lot of people trying to figure out where to be in the city. The other piece of that is the Denver Public Library has kind of been one of those public spaces sure. where a whole lot of unhoused folks have, have been able to spend their days. It's a public Access space. resources. Right. Um, access rooms. social services. And there's been panic about Denver Public Library in the past, too. Well, Denver Public Library's mm-hmm. central branch shut down. Uh, for for a remodel, mm-hmm. right? Apparently a glorious remodel. I haven't seen it yet, but it it sounds pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but when that remodel took place, again, a lot of folks who were spending their days there, who were maybe catching up on sleep they had missed the night before, suddenly were trying to figure out where to go. And as a quasi public private space, however we want to think about this, um, this became kind of a landing point. There were bathrooms here. Mm-hmm. There are places to charge your phone. Um, places to sit down to rest yeah it's warm it's, it's comfortable warm. it's comfortable. and it, from from the people i've spoken to this place feels a lot safer than other places in denver so um unhoused folks who might be spending the night in the shelter might come here to, to catch up on sleep to um, spend the day and figure out what to do inside here it's been a place where people have come for just some general kind of sense of humanity and and to be a part of of this city that we love, right? Hmm. And spend Denver's their days. living room. It's Denver's Who living room. Want People to chill hang there. Hang out in a living room. <laughs> like. Exactly. So downstairs, it's a it's a different it's a different world and a different scene. Um, and there's been a sense that there's been an uptick in drug dealing down there and drug use. You know, we're obviously in the middle of an opioid crisis, a synthetic opioid crisis. Um, overdoses are way up. Mm-hmm. Um, and downstairs has been described in a couple ways to me. One is, you know, the, the city's narrative is this is a place where there are drug dealers and drugs and crime being committed. The, mm-hmm. the way users have described this to me is it's a place where they can use from a pretty insecure drug supply. You don't know what you're using these days. And if you overdose, there might be someone nearby to revive you, um, which is something that has been lacking in the city and is lacking in a lot of cities. Mm-hmm. So... Um, there's a call from from some users I've spoken to and and advocates for those users for something like a supervised injection site and the way that and that's a play or a supervised use site where people can use drugs with medical supervision where they can be revived downstairs right now the way people are describing it to me is that it's kind of a de facto supervised use site so Hmm. there are guards there people of Narcan or Naloxone they can revive you um, people can revive each other and take care of each other. So it's really about safety. Can we go downstairs? We can go downstairs. Um, it's So this is another interesting thing. This building is run 
in some private public partnership that I don't fully understand and need to dig into someday. It's complicated for reasons that make it hard for reporters to talk about. Yes. Downstairs is RTD properties. So we do have to mask down there. You know, we can go through my, I try, when I go through that space, I try to go through as subtly as possible. And, you know, it's a, it's a space to sit and linger. It's not a space I would bring like a big rig. So I will let you all choose kind of Maybe <laughs> how, how you feel about I recording down there. You're saying. Um, you know, there was recently, for example, uh, a, a, a photographer, a photographer who was assaulted. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, what if we put these away? Paul, what if you kind of put your mic in your jacket? Would that work? So where, do you know where they're going to put the turnstiles? I don't, so turnstiles are one of the options, it sounds like, that they're thinking oh. about. It's like turnstile-like is what I've heard. Um, I imagine that they are going to be trying to cut off as many entrance points as possible yeah. from what I'm hearing. So it's it's worth sort of noting that, yeah, they're, they're turning this bus concourse area into a ticketed space only um, in an effort to prevent people from using in the space. And it's interesting because you think about New York, they compare it to New York. Well, it's not like the subways in New York are free from, say, drug use or other incidents, right? New York. Yeah, they're busy. They're busy public spaces, so it's like a $3 entrance fee. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, wow. This is a very different vibe than I remember from years ago. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, what we're seeing is people sitting around, some waiting for buses, some sleeping, some nodding off. Um, it's a... It's definitely a different scene. A lot of the public amenities in here, say like bathrooms people used, have been shut down now for months, I believe. Um, yeah. Huh. Huh. So you were here back in December after, um, after the reports of the issues started uh, with your colleague Kevin Beatty, and you all spent, what was it, 18 hours at Union Station? 18 hours here, yeah, going back and forth. He showed up at five and I left around 10. So, and then we were there. We overlapped quite a lot. Um, we spent a lot of time upstairs, a lot of time downstairs, and some time kind of wandering the neighborhood too. And, you know, spoke to a whole lot of people and heard a lot of different stories and tried to document as best we could. And since then, the police have really cracked down. They've started upping patrols, more, more people, I see a couple of cops already right now. Um, what, what's different since then? You know, it's interesting. The thing I'm not seeing right now that we saw over and over again when we were here in December are the, the local guards, the private guards, going up and down and just like smacking the benches, trying to wake people up. That may be happening, it's just not happening right now. Um, this looks fairly similar to what we saw. The floors were a little grungier. Before they closed the bathrooms, there were a whole lot of folks who congregated back in that area. But those have been shut down. So I was expecting to see more people out in where the buses park. Oh, interesting, yeah. 
Like, I had that impression from the news coverage that there was like, like one, you know, I hear, you see reports about like dark corners and nooks and crannies and, you know, people doing all sorts. You th the mind races, but. I, I think the dark crannies are like that, like just little corners by the windows there. I don't think there's a whole lot more that I'm aware of at least. And certainly like every time I've seen someone be like out in the area where the buses are, there've been security, law enforcement, ambulances, whatever, taking care of them. So I've, I've not personally seen that at all. Yeah. Um, it's really just this kind of long hallway with people sleeping and chilling out, probably doing drugs. I've seen some of that. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> kind of people living their lives. Yeah. All right, we are approaching the exit by the Whole Foods on the backside of Union Station now. Hey, there's a Jimmy John's here now. Was that always here? Jimmy John's comes and goes. Comes and goes as it pleases. We're now in the plaza area. Um, it's worth, yeah, so there, there are, light rail goes back here behind Union Station. Um, if we walk this way, we'll come up to the Whole Foods, to the Coloradan. There are lots of restaurants here. The plazas are kind of on and off spaces people hang out through the day, depending on the weather. Um, and again, it's, it's one of these public spaces that the city is trying to decide what to do with. So if we go over there, there are going to be some benches. And the benches are fenced off to the public. Uh, the rationale folks living in the Colorado told me was the area was filled with rats. People were setting out dog food, and the rats were eating the dog food. Um, beyond there, there were these kind of rectangular structures people would use as benches. Those have been demolished by RTD. So the idea from RTD's perspective is they want to keep this an area where people are flowing in and out and not lingering, if that makes sense. Um, out of safety concerns is, is what they say. So speaking of the flowing in and out of this place, we are here, it's like 8.30 in the morning. We wanted to be here at rush hour. Yeah. This is a transit hub. I wanted to see <laughs> crowds and bustle and hustle. I, I don't know, I've never commuted through Union Station. I didn't know what to expect, but I expected more people than what we've seen so far today. Seems kind of quiet for a Thursday morning at rush hour. I will say at 8 o'clock when I stepped, or at 7.45 when I stepped off the A-line, there was a crowd of people rushing out. Maybe mm -hmm. we they were vanished a fast. Hmm. It's quick. They, they, they commuted, they came, they went, that was it. Maybe they went in and bought coffee, the line was long, yeah. um, they got breakfast. But people are moving through the space pretty quickly because they have places to go generally, right? If you're, yeah. if you're using transit, you're not just coming to Union Station to chill most days unless it's the holidays or something. We, um, you know, we've had a lot of people sending in comments and questions about Union Station since we've been talking about it. And, and among the strong encouragements for us to come and see it for ourselves, one person told me something that I had never heard before about some of these nice residential buildings. They said that when Union Station was initially like renovated, there was a plan to let residents Airbnb their units. So I guess there's some special dispensation in this area or for some of these buildings to, you know, support tourism. People, or, yeah. Um, but now some of these buildings see that as a more profitable revenue stream oh, than 
long-term leases for residences so there's more and more air and b and b's and like specifically the central that or the central that oh. building is what this person wrote in about just a block that way yeah um and he said that that's like he was interested in the effect on the community of like greater percentage of airbnb units versus residential units that is fascinating and something I know nothing about in this yeah. particular area. I mean, it the city bum- has... It bums me out so hard. It, it's surprising <laughs> to me. It's very surprising. But it gets to the root of it, too. It's like, is this a community? Like, is this a place where people live and I work and spend if time? if you talk to folks who live in areas or buildings that have high concentrations of Airbnb, it's not a community. Yeah. How it's would tourists. it be? I don't... Yeah, I can imagine wanting that. The, the, I have not heard that complaint from the, the residents I've talked to down here. The residents I've talked to, who are a lot of them are part of the Lower Downtown Neighborhood Association, Ladona, um, part of the Safe, Clean, Compassionate Committee that, that has some pretty strong ideas about how to address issues down here. Um, that group very much feels like a community. They go out on neighborhood dog walks together. Mm-hmm. Um, they're organizing politically together. They see themselves as, uh, you know, a group that's really taking on on the power structure in the city and, hmm. and see themselves as, as people who um, want to reform and change this area. Uh, a lot of their ideas have to do with law enforcement and arrests. And, you know, over the last, well, just in 2022 alone, we've seen 700 arrests around this bus concourse area. Hmm. 700 arrests in one spot to me feels like quite a lot. Their well, campaigns are working. Right. I was going to say something that Patty Calhoun pointed out on our show recently was, well, if you send police out to any area where there's a concentration of people, you can arrest people if you want. So is it really that that crime or that is matching or is it because we're sending police there? You know, I don't know. It, it's a great question. I mean, you can probably find good reason to arrest most people right. if you really want That's to. What I'm most people of. break the mm-hmm. law at some point in their month, right. let's say. Okay. Um, traffic laws, accidentally loitering, certainly public drunkenness is a thing you see mm-hmm. and have seen for a long time down here. Yeah. Um, uh, so we're talking about crime, we're talking about the 700 arrests, uh, and that was a number that Mayor Michael Hancock announced yesterday here at a press conference. Kyle, you were there. What, what is the latest from the mayor on this? So the mayor's take very explicitly is that what we're seeing here um, is not a homeless issue. It's not homelessness that we're seeing. What we're seeing is sickness, is a drug crisis, is ultimately I think all that comes down to crime. Mm-hmm. Um, from the mayor's perspective, he wants authorities in the city to stop viewing what's going on down here as an issue with homelessness. And he said that very explicitly to me, which I thought was interesting and a a little bit of a different message than I've been hearing from Chief Pazin, who talks a lot about services. I was going to say there's this now the narrative is service resistant people. So it's not that people are unhoused. It's that they don't want the services provided. It's a, service resistance is a, you know, it's one of those yeah. like <laughs> words I think George Orwell would have hated, you know, the, yeah. the sort of government speak. Service resistance to me means that the services that are being offered are not meeting. Don't work. They, they don't work for that person's circumstances. Now, you know, I, I think most people who talk about service resistance will acknowledge that in the case of someone who's dealing with serious addiction, the services require sobriety and sobriety is really truly not 
a medical option for some people. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, addiction's addiction, right? Well, that's the frustrating part to me about what the mayor was saying yesterday about uh, this not being a crisis of homelessness was, well, we have solutions. I mean, there's there's opportunities to serve folks in a better way, but that they're just not being talked about, you know? So from the city's perspective, and I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, I appreciate give a little that, love Kyle. for... To them and, and their perspective, you know, the city makes the argument that they have shelter for any given person who's living on the street at any given moment. Mm. People I've spoken to with hosts say, yes, technically they can activate or open enough shelter beds for mm-hmm. everyone in the city. Those are not currently activated. Um, there are a lot of situations that, that people might be in where it's not so easy to access shelter. Let's say you're in a relationship, you're, you're living with your partner. You have um, a dog. You have a dog. You have a service animal even. Like there, there are questions about whether folks like that can access shelter from what I'm hearing. Yeah. There's also the question of requirements around sobriety at some spaces that, that make this a non-option for some people um, in their current state. state. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are questions about the safety of the shelters. And, you know, from talking to a guy down here in December, you know, he was talking about having his stuff taken at the shelters and feeling much safer here than there. And as long as you don't get... You have a fight with the dealer, essentially, here. You're probably going to be safe, was his take. So there are services available. The city is not um, lacking in resources. The city has resources. The question is whether those services fit the person. I was talking to Anna at Denver Homeless Out Loud, and the way she put it I thought was so smart, which is she was talking about how if you have size 11 shoes and someone says, well, I'm going to give you shoes. They're size 6. There's nothing you can do with that shoe. Um, and it, I thought that metaphor was really powerful. Um, and she probably said it better than me, too. This li- That's not a metaphor, by the way. Like, that literally happens at shelters. Yeah. I spend time at St. Francis Center on Fridays, and sometimes I work the clothing room yeah. where I distribute pants, and, like, everyone wants jeans. And uh, guess what size jeans we get donations of? Huge ones, small Tiny ones. ones. Yeah. The ones that are, like, average sizes, those go fast. Wow. And then when people come in and they say, I want a size, a pair of 32 jeans, I don't have them. Wow. And so what do you do? Like, I have a pair of 48 jeans. You want some giant-ass jeans to wear around? <laughs> no, that's just going to be another problem for you in your day. Wow. Yeah. Like, wow. it literally happens all the time. All wow. the time. That's perfect. Yeah, I mean, that is a perfect example. So I just want to point, there's this building right here, and this was one of the first buildings to be built in this new development in the last 20 years, this one. And my best friend lived there, and she had a Section 8 voucher. So Section 8 was accepted at some of these nicer places downtown 15 years ago because nobody was living down here. So I think it's just really important to remember where we've come from, like, People weren't living in luxury apartments 20 years ago down here. Some people were. The loft stuff, you know, that Dana Crawford was doing and other developers was starting. But this is still a new phenomenon for a very young city where the ebbs and flows of Denver's economy are real. And I think we have to acknowledge that this is not just a moment where we're having a crisis. We have been through this before. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Neighborhoods in the town have gone up and down and trendy and not trendy and filled with despair, filled with hope, filled with optimism. I do think it's important to remember that some of some of the buildings, even the luxury buildings, do have affordable units in them. I think that we don't. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember that enough. And I need to remember that. Well, and it's tough because affordability is relative. There's a lot of ways to define affordability. But I I agree, Kyle, it's something that 
is missed in this conversation is there are some there's not enough by any means but they do exist they do exist there are some you're correct it's not enough and and when i say affordable in this context i mean income restricted right so not just attainable right like i couldn't afford probably most of these, yeah including the attainable ones right Especially which is so interesting as a person with a family who needs it yeah. bigger than a, a studio or a one bedroom you know yeah. Yeah, which I think family is the question for me downtown because of all the places in the city, there aren't a lot of kids down here um, unless they're tourists. And from my perspective, like when you see kids going through this space and my my kid and I've walked through this space plenty of times, people respect kids, right? Like users, groups of users who are using together, in my experience, have stopped or... Yeah, yeah. kid, kid, you know, And, and to me, that's a really cool way the community watches out for each other and the more kids you have I think the safer a space actually winds up feeling um, a lot of the folks I've spoken to down here are retirees they've moved in from the suburbs um, in the last few years for the promise of downtown living as, as kind of a retirement option um, in terms of people with children there there are only a handful and from my perspective that has to do with affordability yes it has to do with the size of units that are being built and it has to do it does have to do with safety ultimately and whether people feel like this is a place where they can raise a kid and i think that creates a certain culture that that is a lot more tense yeah that's a good point well, I feel like we've been talking for a while. I, I think we could probably go all day here. This no, is such could. a fascinating place. We've been talking about this for months. We have not been here. We just saw it. Yeah. Kyle gave us a guided tour, told us about his reporting. Do you feel differently about Union Station? No. Um, I don't want to be too precious about this, but uh, looking at the folks downstairs, many of them obviously are on something or maybe are using in that moment. I see people I love in those people. I see my friends that have struggled with this. I, I literally see the type of person that I know. And I I can't separate that. They, they aren't othered to me. Those are people that I know in real life. And that just reaffirmed it for me. I knew exactly the kind of person people are describing when they describe users. And I take it very personally because People who use drugs are my friends, and that's what I saw down there. Well, Kyle Harris of Denverite, Colorado Public Radio, thanks for joining us on thanks, CityCast Kyle. Denver. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks for thanks for having me. It's, this is it's awesome. been a pleasure. I'm a huge, huge fan of your all, so this is nice. Hey, it's Paul again, coming at you from the Lindy Zimmer studio at Westward. I am recording this hours after we left Union Station, and I have one more thing for you about that clip we played at the beginning of the show, the one where we were asked to turn off our mics in the Great Hall. After that whole kerfuffle, I talked to a rep from Union Station about their recording policies, and she told me that since yesterday morning, they have updated that policy. It now requires prior permission for all audio recording in the Great Hall, not just photos and videos. She also sent me a statement that reads, quote, The historic Denver Union Station building, which encompasses the Great Hall, the Crawford Hotel, as well as partner dining establishments and retail spaces, is a privately leased, privately operated entity. The Denver Union Station Alliance contracts an independent security team to provide a safe and enjoyable experience for our guests, our associates, and the community within our space. 
We support the ongoing efforts of the Denver Police Department and RTD who manage the security of the public transit areas and outdoor plazas. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. Our producers this week were Paul Caroli, Aaron O'Toole, and Lizzie Goldsmith. Peyton Garcia writes our morning newsletter. I'm your host, Bree Davies. Our music is by Los Mocochetes with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren, plus more from the Epidemic Sound Library and the band All the Kimonos. If you haven't already, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at CityCast Denver and tell a friend about us next time you see them. You can sign up for our daily newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866 and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. Have a great new year and we'll be back in your feeds on January 3rd. Bye-bye.